What are you passionate about? What are your convictions? We all have them, but can you explain and defend why you hold your convictions? The earliest Christians held to the firm conviction that Jesus Christ rose again for the dead, and they were willing to die for that conviction. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Pat Zukerin is a Christian scholar, author, speaker, and prominent apologist who speaks all over the world giving reasons for faith in Christ. Recently, Dr. Zuckerman hosted a conference in Hawaii which featured one of the foremost experts on the resurrection of Christ, Dr. Gary Habermas. Today, you'll hear the second in a two-part series on the confident conviction one can have in the truth of the resurrection. And when you get a chance, check out our website, evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, past shows, interviews, articles, books, and more. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Pat Zuckerman presents Dr. Gary Habermas with part two of Confident Conviction. And watch this. This is the best source for Tiberius because it's 120 AD. It's later than all four Gospels. The next best source, also 120 AD. And the fourth source for Tiberius, 180 years after Ground Zero. That's secular historiography. How do we know about Tiberius? from sources that are fairly decent, but way later than the Gospels. What about Alexander? Mark is 10 times earlier than our best sources for Alexander the Great. And guess what? I've not touched the best argument. Now, from this point on, I'm giving you my argument, not because it's mine. I'm going to play this game of, I'm going to use the skeptics' sources. Why do I call it a game? Because it's a method. There's a lot more that's true about Jesus than what the skeptics say. But I know that if I can show it's true on the skeptics' logic, on the skeptics' data, that it's true on everybody else's too. So I'm going to use the lowest common denominator to show you that Jesus raised the dead. All right? You all ready? I'm going to only use two texts from the New Testament, and critics accept both of them without a whimper. If I were debating tonight, and I would pull these two texts out, the, critic, the guy I'm debating would not say... I don't accept those texts, because they're unanimously accepted. What are they? Now, let me tell you this. The critic's darling is Paul. Paul is the critic's darling. Why? All right, first of all, they're skeptics. There's 13 books that bear Paul's name. They're only going to grant you six or eight of them. Okay, that's pretty skeptical. They're only going to take 50% of the books, a little more than 50%. The other books they're going to say are bogus. All right. Critic doesn't want to grant the other six books, I won't use them. What books are they going to give you? Critics will always give you Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians. They'll always give you those six, and usually one or two others. So, you know, it's one of these good news, bad news things. What's the, good, what's the bad news? They're only going to give you six to eight out of 13 books. What's the good news? They're going to give you six to eight out of 13 books. Okay. Well, if I can make my point with six to eight books, I won the game. It's sort of like saying this. You think you have the best high school football team in town. I'll bet you use 11 guys on each side of the ball. I'll beat you with five guys on each side of the ball. And if I'm right, who's got the best football team? Especially, you know, all the guys got to be the same age, and they've got to play with the same rules, and so on. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking the lowest common denominator. I'm not going to get upset with them for rejecting half of Paul's books. I only want two texts, which are unanimously granted as authentic. Now, let me be real careful here. 
I'm not saying that they think these six books by Paul are inspired. They don't say that. I'm not saying that they say whatever Paul says is true. They don't say that. Well, then what's so good about it? Because they think these books are authentic in this sense. Paul's the author. He was a scholar. He was an honest guy. And he never willingly fabricated the data. They will concede that about all these books. Six to eight books. They're all written by Paul. He believed he was telling the truth. He's not lying. He was a scholar. He was the right place at the right time. He's our best authority in the early church. That's what critics concede. And from that point on, I'm going to use just two texts of Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Galatians, the end of Galatians 1, beginning of Galatians 2. You say, I thought you were only going to use two texts. That is only two texts. Because in the originals, there's no chapter and verse dividings. So Galatians 1 goes right into Galatians 2. So we use a little bit at the end of Galatians 1, a little bit at the beginning of Galatians 2, and 1 Corinthians 15. That's it. And I, I say you could argue the resurrection from just those two texts, and critics wouldn't think about arguing that these two books are false, fake, wrong, losers. They don't argue that. Now look how Paul starts in 1 Corinthians 15. Now oftentimes with Christians, I'll, I'll, I want you to get my point to start here. So I'll say this. First two verses, Paul says, I came to you, Corinthians, and I gave you the gospel. What's the gospel? If you're presenting the gospel to somebody, and you want them to say, I do, you want them to say yes to Jesus. You want them to commit themselves to Jesus for rich or poor, so on. By the way, one thing about marriage is not true about coming to Christ. It's not till death do we part. But you ask people to make a commitment to Jesus, so they've got to know the data. What are the data when you get married? Well, you learn about a person, but you don't say yes to their characteristics. If you think you've got the best-looking person in the world, smartest person in the world, best everything, you don't say yes to the characteristics. You say yes to the person who has those characteristics. And that's how it is with the gospel. I love history. It's the area I do most of my research in. And although you do say yes to history in a sense, because you say these things are true, we're really asked to say yes to a person about whom these things are true. So here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. When I came to Corinth, I gave you guys the gospel. And if you believe what I said, that's a strong Greek word, and it means to, to trust, to, as one exegete says, to cast yourself upon, to surrender to. It's a strong term. If you've given yourself to him, then you're saved. And if not, you're not. That's the first two verses. Now, what is the gospel content? It's defined mostly in the book of Acts and in Paul's epistles. And these three facts are always present when the gospel is defined. Always present. Deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Deity, death, and resurrection. When you ask somebody to say, I do, to Jesus, they're saying, I do, to the Jesus who said, I'm the Son of God, dying for your sins, and I'm going to rise from the dead. That's the person to whom you say I do. If the person to whom you say I do lacks some of those things, it's not the New Testament gospel. Well, my Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead, but he's not the Son of God. Not the New Testament gospel. Well, he claimed he'd be the Son of God, he died on the cross, everybody does die, he wasn't raised. Not the New Testament gospel. So Paul starts his defense in verse 3. And he starts like this. I gave you what I was given. Simple enough, isn't it? I passed on to you what was given to me. 
Very simple. I said, now listen, you guys. Christians, as Christians, we don't, we don't think about that phrase as really being important, but it is. Watch what comes out of it. Let me say it again. Paul, to the Corinthians, I gave you what I was given. All right, move on. I went to school. I can handle this. Well, let me tell you what's so special about this. That's in the Greek. The Aramaic terms. Remember, Jesus spoke Aramaic. Aramaic was the native language of these guys. It's a dialect of Hebrew. And the, the Hebrew words for these Greek words, the Hebrew equivalent, the Aramaic equivalent, is to pass on tradition. It was what, what Pharisees did. Here's what a professor does in school. I'm telling you guys what our best sources are doing. You take it, you all get your teaching degrees, you get out there, and you take that material to somebody else. You see what we're doing? That's good teachers pass on good material so that people take it and pass it on to the next generation. Paul is using technical terms for delivering, taking information and delivering to others. Terms that the Pharisees used for passing on tradition. Whoops. What did Paul say it was? Pharisee. Where? Philippians chapter 3. Is that one of those books skeptics accept? Yep. So we're not off our game plan. We're still using the skeptics rules. And so Paul is speaking. Rabbi Paul is speaking. Paul the Pharisee is speaking and saying, I'm obeying the rules of good teaching here, and I gave you this material. When did he do this? Well, these years down here are great. The Gospels are fine. But watch what happens to the argument if you only use Paul. Paul writes these words about 55 A.D. Does it make any difference if you're conservative or liberal? Dates the same. Paul writes about 55 A.D. Subtract 30, and this is spoken about 25 years after ground zero. That's it. Plus 25. Oh, but wait a minute. That's when Paul wrote it. He wrote it, 1 Corinthians, plus 25. He said in the first two verses... This is what I spoke to you when I came to Corinth. Oh, well, when did he come? This date is establishable as well as any date in the New Testament. Paul came to Corinth, 51 AD. And Paul said, these are the words I gave you when I came. You all with me? He wrote it here. He taught it here. And now we're down to plus 21. Because the goal of historiography, one of the most important goals, is to get to early Eyewitness testimony, the two E's. We won't be able to talk about the third one, but I tell my students, if you master early eyewitness and the empty tomb, you're going to be off and running. I just don't have a lot of time to talk about the empty tomb tonight. But early in eyewitness, we want to get as early as possible, and we want people who are there. And Paul's writing it at plus 21, or 51 AD. Now, let's go back to verse 3. I gave you what I was given. Okay. Here's the million dollar question. When and from whom did Paul receive this material? Now I'm going to give you the conclusion, then I'm going to give you the reasons. And these are critics. Evangelicals did not come up with the answer to this question. The critics did. And this is what I sometimes call the argument that changed a generation of scholars. Critics realizing what I'm going to show you next accounts for more people today believing in the resurrection than not. Here it is. He wrote it. He preached it. When and from whom did he receive it? Now remember, here's ground zero. Closer the better. Critics think 
the consensus critical position is that Paul received this material about 35 A.D. That's only plus 5. Now, we're going to do better than that. Let's talk about plus 5. How do you get this? How do you know it's plus 5? Well, first of all, the critics come up with this. Let's flip to the other text, Galatians chapter 1, allowed by critics. Because Paul's the author, he's honest, he's a scholar, right place at the right time. Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, remember the theme of this book is the gospel, and Paul says, I hated Christianity. That's how Galatians starts. I was persecuting the church. I thought I was doing God a favor, killing and imprisoning Christians. Verse 16, I met Jesus. Boom. My life changed. And Paul says, now don't think I get addled up to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles right away. I didn't need to. I already talked to Jesus. So I trusted Christ, and then I went off for three years by myself to learn and grow. And, and then, after those three years, I went up to Jerusalem. You see what I'm saying? Paul does the math for us, and he's an honest, authoritative, scholarly source, according to critics. Paul does the math. Okay, once again, what's the math? Here it is. Ground zero. When does Paul meet Jesus? Or when does Paul think he meets Jesus? Critics put this at about plus two. Could be plus one, could be plus three. Average, plus two. Paul comes to Jesus about plus two. He says, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles. You all with me? Ground zero. Plus two, he said, I met Jesus. Three more years later, he goes up to Jerusalem. Two plus three, five. 35 AD. He goes to Jerusalem, and he says, I stayed there for 15 days, and I saw no one but Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. Oh, this is just too good. James, the brother of Jesus, and Peter, eyewitnesses to the resurrection appearance of Jesus, besides Paul. So this makes three eyewitness appearances. Paul, I don't mean three total appearances. Peter and James, we have reason to think, saw Jesus several times. But three persons who saw the risen Jesus. Three. There's a little Greek word in Galatians 1.18 that we slaughter generally in our English translations. The word is, when Paul describes what he was doing, Paul, what were you doing there? Why'd you go up there? The, world, the word is hysteresi. You don't have to know Greek if I tell you that the root word for hysteresi is histor. H-I-S-T-O-R. It is the Greek word, that's transliterated, because Greek has different letters than we do. But transliterated, that's the Greek word for our word history. And in ancient writings, that word, I know of three major word studies, none of them done by evangelicals, all done by critics, and they conclude that the word histor is best translated to interview somebody, to play the role of the investigative reporter. It, it, you know what we would call it? I don't know what time your news comes on in this part of the woods, but it's what we would call eyewitness news. Been there, done it. 
There's a, there's a hurricane on the East Coast, and you know who's there? It's Geraldo Rivera. He's got to be there. Geraldo's going to stand in that storm all night if it kills him, because he wants you to see what's happening. Okay, I'm teasing, but that's his store. That's his store. That is playing, that's playing the role of the guy who says, hey, I was in the eye of the storm. I was there at the right time, right place. I want to tell you what I saw. We call it eyewitness news. And Peter said, sorry, Paul said, I went and spent 14 days, 15 days, a little over two weeks, with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. And in context, what are they talking about? The gospel. This is just too good. Because critics usually say, ah, the gospels are a little too late. Prove it to me, prove it to me. I'm going to say, would you take Paul? Yeah, I'll take Paul. All right, then I'll use Paul. You see how easy that is? Gospels are good as evidence. Paul's better as evidence. Talk about inspiration, talking evidence. I'll take Paul. And they'll grant Paul. Now, when you keep reading there, Paul plays the investigative reporter, talks about the gospel, learns about the appearances. Do you know what I would have asked if I was Paul? If I were Paul? This would have been my first question. Hey, Peter, I'll tell you what I saw when I saw the resurrected Jesus if you tell me what you saw. I've got to hear this story. If I hear only one thing from you, it's got to be the resurrection. What do you look like? No offense, Peter, but you denied him three times. How did you feel? That's okay, man. I'm a persecutor of the church. I understand. And James, not to pick on you, dude, but you were not a believer. Critics almost unanimously concede that James, the brother of Jesus, was not a believer. And all of a sudden, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, we learn in the same text, Jesus appeared to James. What do you think he said? Would you like to have been hiding behind a piece of furniture, fly in the wall? Jesus appears to his brother and he goes, bro, check me out. You can touch this stuff, it's healed. James, Peter, Paul. All right, it's only plus five. Paul says, I went back to Jerusalem 14 years later. Critics put it at about 48 AD. We're only plus 18. Galatians 2. He says, I went back to Jerusalem. And Galatians 2, 2, it's got to be one of the strangest verses in the New Testament. I like the King James here. Galatians 2, 2. I set before them the gospel I was preaching to see if I was running or had run in vain. What? I put the gospel that I was preaching on the table to make sure we're all on the same page. Paul, you waited 18 years to check the gospel out? I think Paul would say, you're not listening to my argument one little bit. I got it from Jesus. You got a better source? Ooh. Got it from Peter James. Beat that. This is at least the third time I'm making sure we're on the same page. Do you folks realize... I think Paul was a little obsessive and compulsive. I really do. But we gain from his obsessiveness. Paul just wanted to make sure. Tell me once again, guys, what's the gospel we're preaching? 
Galatians 2.2. 2. I set it on the table. Make sure we're all on the same page. Galatians 2.6. Five words. Galatians 2.6. They added nothing to me. They added nothing to me. We're all on the same page. Verse 9. They gave us the right hand of fellowship. And they said, Peter's taken to the Jews. Paul, you and your boys take it to the Gentiles. And Paul said, I was thrilled. They said, one more thing, Paul. Be good to the poor. And Paul said, the very thing I wanted to be. And you see that all the way through the New Testament. One, two, punch. Put God first. Put others right there second. Jesus calls it the first two greatest commands. But what I'm interested in tonight is the gospel. They were all on the same page. Now, real quickly... This is when Paul got the message. And they were already down to plus five. But watch. If Peter and James gave it to Paul, they had it before he did. Critics usually date this message. I can give you a lot of names and dates if you want to from the most left-wing liberals you can think of. They believe this material goes all the way back to 30 A.D. The latest scholar, James D.G. Dunn, University of Durham, he said, this material goes back to the same year in which Jesus was crucified. How's that? Looking great at plus five. There's nothing like this in the ancient world. Looks great at plus five. But someone had it before Paul. And they're just witnesses. The events themselves are earlier still. And critics, I give you a list that will put it in the first two to three years or that will put it right at 30 AD. Let me just draw one conclusion and I'm done. <coughs> what difference does all this make? You know the resurrection is the center of every, almost every doctrine in the New Testament? You know it's the center of every, almost every practice in the New Testament? Almost everything is said to be true at one point or another because of the resurrection of Jesus. One thing Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15... Verse 18. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your loved ones who died in Christ have died in vain. Your loved ones who died in Christ have died in vain. This is the same Paul who says in 1 Thessalonians that believers grieve when a loved one dies. Believers grieve, but not without hope. Do you ever think about the difference between grieving with hope and grieving without hope? What's the difference? Only eternity. Only eternity together. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God who raised Jesus will raise us up and we will be in fellowship with each other forever. Whoa, how's that for a definition of eternity? But here's how Paul ends 1 Corinthians 15, and here's how I'll end this message. Paul says these words, and he, listen, I was an ice hockey coach for nine years, and I love football. I don't care. If you like poetry, that's wonderful. I'm not a poetry guy, but if you like it, that's fine. But when Paul says these words, read the commentaries, he's not doing it poetically. He's not doing this in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Read the commentaries. He's taunting death. He's trash-talking. Seriously, I'm juicing it up a little bit. 
But this is what Paul's doing because of the resurrection. He's going, Satan, you got something for me? You've got nothing. You've got nothing. What, what? You can hurt me? I, I know you can hurt me. Man, I've been busted up. I busted almost every bone on my body, but I'm telling you something. You can't unraise Jesus. You're going down. You go back. Look at the score. We watched a basketball game last night out here. Look at the score. You lost. You lost. It's all because of Jesus. Hurt me if you want to, but I'm going to live forever. Because Jesus has been raised to death. I just want you to think for a moment about the difference of grieving without hope and grieving with hope. Because Jesus has been raised, we've got the greatest message in the world. Nothing can touch it. I'll end tonight with the words of our Savior, John chapter 14, verse 19. Because I live, ye shall live also. Well, we have just run out of time today on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin as Dr. Gary Habermas shows the firm historical foundations that Jesus Christ actually rose again from the dead. And it seems we have a divine miracle on our hands. And you can get this entire series on confident conviction and more of Dr. Gary Habermas's teaching at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. And by the way, you have the opportunity to support us financially and prayerfully at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll help keep this program on the air and online when you purchase our resources or offer your tax-deductible gift. And we really appreciate your support. We think that people all over the world should have the opportunity to hear a clear, intelligent presentation on the truth of the claims of Christ. Click the Donate button when you go to evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.